that Jesus is God and we don't understand that we needed a savior, his lordship is meaningless to us. We can't operate in his lordship if we don't understand those two aspects. So we're going to walk through a little bit of a review and I'll try to pace myself and take my time and, and make sure these scriptures can sink in. I, I was accused of being a speed reader last time, so we'll try to go a little bit easier. At the same token, I want to really get to the end of this, which, which uh, is, is, is life-changing. It literally will be life-changing if we can walk in the things that God has shown us. So, so starting with review, when we talked about G, uh, God, we start, first started talking about how great God is. And we had the first scripture, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you remember, we talked about God being Elohim, the supreme God, or God Almighty, and he's the one who created everything. And we expounded upon how wonderful his works are, and how great they were, and how vast they were. So many things that we don't even normally see. You know, you're thinking about God created the light, and yet there's so much more in that electromagnetic spectrum that we we don't even think about our x-rays and our radar rays and our gamma rays. All of that God created when he spoke those in. We talked about the, the billions of trillions of stars, not just, not just the stars in our Milky Way, which we can see with the naked eye. We showed you images of some of the phenomenal stars that God has created. We talked about the animals and the plants and the species and the microorganisms, the things in your mouth that, that you don't even know are alive in there, and, and some of us don't want to know <laughs> But they're there, and God created some of those things. And, and so God is so great, and we need to meditate on how. I love the songs we sang tonight, beautiful songs. And, you know, you can just have a whole day worth of worship thinking about how great God is. So we want to do that. Uh, and our natural response is to worship him, and we think about how wonderful he is, and to obey his commandments because he is an awesome and a mighty God. And then we unfolded the scriptures a little bit more, and we started to talk about who this God is in the, in the form of Jesus. So put Colossians chapter 1 up there, 15 through 17. So the first here we see is, is Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Next verse. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. So we see here clearly that, that Jesus is God. In the next verse, before all things, uh, he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him they consist. We talked about how the word was God and the word was with God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We talked about how he is called wonderful and counselor, mighty God and, and prince of peace, everlasting father. Emmanuel, the time of Christmas is coming up. What a great time to testify that the God we serve, Jesus, is his name. Come and meet him. He came in, 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 uh, in the form of a man, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas time. He's the great I am. So this is Jesus that we talked about, and when we talk about Jesus, we need to think about him as God. When we only think about him as a man, we think about him as a creation, not as creator. And that turns into idolatry. As if you saw God as a four-footed beast or an image or a snake or something else that you might make. But we have to see him as God. Jesus is God Almighty. And the astounding thing about this is Jesus, God Almighty, he made man in his image and in his likeness. Next verse, Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. Just pause and think about the phenomenal aspect of that statement. This almighty God that we, we just talked about, that we just worship, that we just 
in our mind embrace this, this wonderful creator made you and he made me in his image and his likeness. Now, in our own fleshly carnal way, we can't even grasp that. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Spirit within us, we can start to see that it's true. He made us like that. And we talked about what does that mean, how, how he made us, uh, both male and female, he made us three parts. He's three parts, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He made us three parts. We are a spirit being. We're going to talk about that tonight. We're a spirit being. We are a spirit being. And we have a soul, and we, and we live in this body, this earth suit, and this is our temporary one, thankfully. We'll get fresh ones when we, when we go to the incorruptible, but right now we're in our corruptible bodies. And, but we are a spirit being, and we need to be renewed to that thought, because God is a spirit being. And if we're made in the image and likeness of God, then we have to recognize that we also are a spirit being. And in the next verse, Genesis 2, verse 7, says, the Lord God formed the man. We have it up there yet? No. Genesis 2.7. There it is. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and look what he did. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. It's your breath in our lungs. It's only when the breath in our lungs became present that man became a living being. God created all these other things. We saw it in the book of Genesis, how he made all these wonderful creatures, but he didn't breathe the breath of life into any of them. He gave us his breath. He gave us his, his spirit. That's a phenomenal thing. Phenomenal. So we have the breath of life. And so when we talked about what it was like to be made in his image, in his likeness, we, we, we saw the same exact verse used in reference to Seth. When Adam and Eve came together and they had Seth, and it said, and Seth was born in the image and likeness of Adam. So we know that the phraseology used there is the same. In other words, Seth looked like his parents. Man, Adam, looked like his parent, his creator, God. We, us, usums, you and me, created in the likeness of God. That's, a, that's an amazing thing. Amazing thing. In Genesis 2, in verse 25, it says, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. There, they, there was nothing to hide. There, there, was no, there was no shame because there was no sin. There's nothing wrong. Perfect, righteous, holy, just, free, able. They were like God. Now, they weren't gods. Remember, I cleared that up. We're not gods. We can't, we can't we're not all powerful. We're not present everywhere at once. You know, we're, we're not, we are made in his image and likeness, though. And that was wonderful, and he was in the garden, and he was with God, and the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, and, and man's spirit were united as one together. There was no separation between man and God. It was beautiful, like a marriage. Wonderful. And then we saw that man disobeyed. Genesis 3, 6 and 7. Let's take a quick look at it. Again, this is review. I'm going to go fairly quickly. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They disobeyed God. 
And uh, so immediately, you look at his reaction here. Now that he's in disobedience, he reacts in his mind. I've got to cover up. Something happened. I ha- and in his mind, he creates this idea that I need to put fig leaves together and cover myself, and for Eve as well. So he's reacting in his mind and his emotions. It doesn't say that in his spirit, man, he said, Holy Spirit, I messed up. What should I do? He lost connection with the spirit, man, as soon as he disobeyed. And suddenly he's in the flesh and he's in his soul. And he knows. Before he was naked, he didn't even know it. He was a spirit man connected with God's spirit, happened to have a soul and live in a body, but had no idea what naked was. It wasn't a bad thing, by the way. Being naked is okay. Not, not here. <laughs> but, but uh, sorry, I digress. <laughs> Lost you already. Okay, so, <laughs> so my point is this. That now, after the sin, they knew. So they realized they came acquainted with the knowledge of good and evil. They knew good before, but good had no relevance because you couldn't compare it to anything. But now that they understood evil, they saw what good was, and they saw, oh, I've got a problem here. Suddenly they realized where they were. And I showed you a table last week or two weeks ago about how far we fell. And, and I'll just read it to you quickly. But we went from an intimate connection with God to being separated from God. We went from being obedient to God to being disobedient. We went from being righteous to being sinful. We went from life evermore to death evermore. We went from being holy to being unholy from being good to being evil, from the light to the darkness. Freely serving God the Father to being a slave serving Satan the devil. And all of the earth was cooperating and now it's not. From the children of the Most High God crowned with glory and honor to children of wrath subject to Satan, a mere fallen angel. That was a big fall. And it's important, and the reason I keep emphasizing this is because we lose sight of it. Again, remember the first day I talked to you about the word that God put on my heart, magnitude. How big was this fall? Because if we just say, oh, well, we messed up, we shouldn't have done that, oh, well, and we treat it like we treat sin today, mm-mm, mm-mm. This was a huge fall, and one that they could not recover from on their own. It was catastrophic, not only to Adam and Eve, but to all of those who were in them, which, of course, is us, all the descendants from them. And it's just sad to see that not only did they lose their connection with God, but now they were serving somebody else. Look at Romans 6 and 16. I referenced this. I don't think we put it up last time. But do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. So Adam and Eve were faced with a choice in the garden. The, the devil had no power over them. He could, not convince, he could not coerce them into sinning. All he could do was tempt them and, and uh, deceive them. Those are the only two weapons that he had, and he used them both very, very well. And what happened was, is they then, she was tempted, and he made a choice. And by choosing to submit to the Satan, Satan's temptation. He chose to step out from under the submission to God and fall under the authority of Satan. And so when we talked about Seth being born in the image and the likeness of Adam and Eve, the image and likeness that Seth and all of their descendants were born into wasn't the one 
in the garden before the fall, but is the one outside of the garden after the fall. Subject to a fallen, disobedient angel in whom there is no truth. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, describes it clearly. And you he made alive. Of course, this is talking to believers now. You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which he once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Everyone say disobedience. Disobedience, Disobedience, yeah. Among whom also we all, all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. That's our soul, right? We were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ, for by grace we have been saved. Wow. So it clearly shows us that in our fallen state, we are part of the sons of disobedience. And as sons of disobedience, because Adam and Eve were the disobedient ones, and then everyone after them, so our parents were disobedient just as much as we were. And, and, and we were subject to the prince of the power of the air. And if you notice, it says we are, we are fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Next verse. It doesn't say we're fulfilling or following the spirit. In fact, how many of you even knew you had a spirit? Didn't even know we had one, did we? No, we were all about the flesh and the soul, weren't we? And that's one of the devil's tricks is to convince us the spirit realm doesn't exist. Shows you how far we were disconnected from the spirit of God. Separated from the breath of God he gave, that gave us our spirit man life. That breath of God gave our spirit man life. So now we're controlled by our body and our soul how God must have been grieved. A couple more scriptures to bring this home. Romans 5.19 For by one man's disobedience Everyone say disobedience. Yeah, I know. We don't like that. (laughs) Many were made sinners so also by one man's obedience Everyone say that. Obedience. Obedience. Yeah. Uh, Many will be made righteous. Romans 5.19 And look at Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the order is that disobedience brought sin into the world, and sin leads to death. And that's the state the world is in, unless, of course, you're in Christ, because obedience leads to righteousness, and righteousness then leads to life. Seems all simple and easy so far, right? All right. So we have a fallen state. We have a fallen nature. We're separated from God. There's nothing we can do. And so clearly, God has to come on the scene to save us. We need a Savior. Continuing with our review. So we talked about Jesus as Savior. Jesus left the throne of his life to save ours. We see in John 17, 
verses 4 and 5, just before he goes to the cross, this is God's, this is Christ Jesus' heartfelt prayer to his Father. It's a wonderful prayer to read when you want to get built up into who Jesus is, who God is, and who you are in him. Read his prayer, because when you read how Jesus prayed to the Father, there's so many things you can learn. You can do a whole, a whole night just on that prayer. It's beautiful. It really is. It's a heart felt cry because he knows where he's going. He knows the price he's going to pay for us. And he's crying out to his father in this prayer. Um, and, but, but what he says here is in verse 4 and 5, he says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had before the world was. So we know that Jesus was on the throne and he was uh, God, God Almighty, and he left that throne to come to earth. So he left the throne of his life to come to earth to save our life. And then we see that he crucified his flesh daily to save our flesh. He crucified his flesh daily. Hebrews 4.15. This is phenomenal. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points all points tempted as we are yet without sin and we talked last time about how that wasn't easy for him to do he had to learn how to put his flesh and his soul under submission to his spirit you have to realize throughout eternity Jesus was a spirit he did not have a flesh and a soul to deal with this is something he had to learn to do he had to come and be born of man born of Mary of course, his father was the Holy Spirit, but, but he had to learn how to handle his, his soul and his flesh, even from when he was little. He had to learn how to obey his mom and dad. He had to learn how to listen to the Father in heaven when he stayed in the temple at age 12 to ask of the rabbis and to learn of the scriptures. And he grew in wisdom. He didn't have it all the time. He grew in wisdom and stature as he, as he matured. So he had to learn how to do that. And of course, in, you know, he had friends, he had school, he had different things to do. And he had the same temptations as a kid growing up that you and I had. Not the same. I mean, we didn't have the internet, but, but the same idea. Everyone was tempted in the same way. He was tempted in all points as we are, and yet he did not sin. Hebrews 5, 7 through 9. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son... Yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Everyone say obey him. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But what I want you to see here, I used to read that and think learned obedience. What does that mean? As a father of five kids, sometimes I had to learn my kids some obedience, if you know what I mean. You know, because when they acted up, you had to bring the, the ministry of whatever. <laughs> you get my drift, right? So, so, but Jesus did not have to learn obedience that way because he never sinned. He never disobeyed. What it means is he had to learn to put that flesh under. He had to figure out what the flesh was telling him and learn how to listen to the Father so the Father's, his spirit man always had preeminence over his flesh and over his soul. And isn't that just like Adam was in the garden? His spirit man connected with God's spirit man. 
He had a soul and lived in a body, but they were always operating as a spirit. That's why they were naked and unafraid. They were spirit to spirit until the fall. It's cool. So this is how Jesus, so he came. He is the way. He showed us the way. He came to show us the way. And this is the way that he put his flesh under and followed after his father. Next verse, John 8, John chapter 8, and verse 28 and 29. And Jesus said to him, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. Think about Adam in the garden. God came and walked with him in the cool of the day. They were always together. The Father never left him alone. They were never separated. Why? Because he always did the things that pleased the Father in the garden before the fall. And after the fall, he couldn't do the things that pleased him. In fact, he wasn't even connected spirit to spirit. It was impossible. But Jesus came, born of the Holy Spirit and Mary, and he came and showed us the way by only doing the things that pleased his father. His father never left him alone. He was never separated from God. Wow, that's cool. So, so, so what that means, when you see Jesus walking on the earth now, you don't see any restraint. When the Spirit of God had to move to raise someone from the dead, he moved through Jesus. When the Spirit of God gave him a word of knowledge, he moved through Jesus. When the Spirit of God said that you are to wait because Lazarus' sickness is, is you know, is, 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 he's going to sleep, I love the story because when, this is the story where, where Jesus heard from Mary and Martha that his, one of his best pals, Lazarus, was really sick. Now, Jesus had healed many people. He already knew he could heal Lazarus, and he wanted to. His soul wanted to heal Lazarus. But the father must have told him to wait. And so he listened to his father and waited, and then when he, when he got the word that Lazarus had died, Jesus wept. His soul cried. He was sad. Not because he didn't know the end, but because his friends were, were torn apart. The, the sisters, Mary and Martha, he saw his friends and they were crying. He, and he had a soul and he had, a, he had to submit that to the leading of the Spirit. And then God said, go. And when he went, God said, you'll raise him from the dead. So he, he cried out to his father saying, God, I know you always hear me, but so they know you did this, right? Because he was always doing what his father told him to do. That's, that's neat. He was so obedient, he even went right to death. Uh, so Philippians 2, 8, 8, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even, even death of the cross, which is a hideous way to go. So he loses his life. Again, this is still review, but Jesus loses his life to give us our life. In the Passion, we know the story, Jesus is actually separated from his Father. Not because of something he did, but because of stuff we did. Our sin was put on him, and our sin could not be put on him, and he could not be punished until he was separated from the Father. The Father's holy. He's separated from, from Jesus. Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? He knew why. He just, for the first time in eternity, was separated from the Spirit of his Father. It was agony to him. 
just the separation was agony. Never mind dumping onto him all of our sins. And then the punishment for those sins, which is death, which is separation from God. And God's wrath was poured out on him. And he became sin, our sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. And this is so relevant today. God is pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Next verse. Is it there? 21? Maybe not. (laughs) All right. Well, 21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There it is. Right? So, so he became sin that we might become righteousness. So, so now, not only does he, he leave his throne of his life to save ours, he, he loses his life to save ours, and then he conquers death when he's raised to life. Hebrews 2, 4, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh... Uh, partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise, Jesus, shared in the same. What does that mean? He took on flesh and blood himself. He shared in that as well. That through death, he had to have flesh and blood to die so that he could pay the price of sin, which is death. And then through death, he can destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. God Almighty, this wonderful God, this wonderful creator, this magnificence that we can't even describe put on flesh. And then he, and, he, and he allowed that flesh to be crucified. And then he went into Hades and took the punishment for sin he didn't even commit so that then he could be raised to life and destroy the works of darkness. Oh, what manner of love. What manner of love. He did that for us. And then we see in John chapter 20, after he's raised from the dead, but before he's glorified, before he's gone to the Father, um, he, he meets with his disciples. In John 20 and 22, it says, And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Remember, when Adam was formed, God breathed the breath of life into him and became a living being. And here we see now, the fallen people of God who were called to follow him, now seeing him in his resurrected form, they recognize and acknowledge, they confess that he is Lord, and they believe that he raised, God raised him from the dead because he was standing in front of them after he had been dead. So it wasn't, didn't take a lot of faith. <laughs> they could see it. And because of that, now they are saved, and because of their confession, they're able to receive the Holy Spirit, and God breathed on them. And they received the Holy Spirit, and they were born again. Jesus is our Savior. That's cool. I mean, that's just an amazing story. And it's a story that we all need to rehearse over and over again because we all need to be telling the story. One way or another, in, in great detail as we've articulated up here, or in two to three sentences, somehow you have to get it across. Somebody told me the story when I was in college. I was actually a door-to-door salesman in college selling books. And someone told me the story in three sentences, and I was born again on their doorstep. I mean, you just never know when you're going to be reached. 
or how you're going to reach somebody. And that person who did that invited me in for dinner. I said, no, you want to buy some books? He said, no, we parted our ways. He has no idea how he changed my life by being bold enough to be a witness. It's awesome. God is so good. So let's talk about something new. Let's talk about, this isn't new, but a new topic for tonight. Jesus is Lord. So here we're going to talk about the salvation prayer. And I I don't remember what scriptures he told me when I was on that doorstep, but I have a feeling it was these in uh, Romans chapter 10. We'll read right through uh, verses 8 through 13, and then we'll come back and dissect them a little bit. So Romans chapter 10 in verse 8, and uh, we'll put that up so you can see it if it's there. And if not, I will read it to you. Or you can look in your Bibles, which would be even better. We get a little bit lax in our use of the sword when it's just served to us on a platter here. Um, But you're welcome to open your Bibles here because this is important to see. There it is. So what does it say, the, the word of faith? What does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hopefully you all know that scripture. Or if not verbatim, you get the essence of it. And, and we hear it on Sundays when we have the invitation at the altar for the people to come up and receive him as Lord, that this is essentially the prayer that we lead them through. And so I want to dissect this a little bit because it, 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 there's a couple of different aspects to it. First of all, we're, we're going to believe unto righteousness. We go back to verse 9. We'll see, we'll see that the word says that you need to believe in your heart that God uh, raised Jesus from the dead. And we see in verse 10, with the heart one believes unto righteousness. Now, we just reviewed all the significance of Jesus being raised from the dead. We just went over that in detail. And I, as I was preparing the notes and figuring out how to, how to pull this together, I, w- I had another hour of discussion on that point. Why do you have to believe? But it dawned on me, so for somebody who's not saved, it doesn't really matter. The point is that why would you confess Jesus as Lord if he's dead? How can, how can he be your Lord if he's dead? No, you have to believe he's been raised from the dead. And then you can confess that he is Lord. So starting with the simple fact that he's alive. I mean, that, that's an astounding fact in and of itself. People don't raise from the dead, not, the, not in the natural. And yet Jesus is alive. He was raised from the dead. And so it takes an act of faith to believe that. And it says you should, you should confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Verse 9 says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And verse 10, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Well, what does that mean? Well, first of all, you're saying something, right? You may believe in your heart. Oh, I've heard that all my life. Jesus is alive. I believe that. Okay, you can believe. The, the, the devils believe in tremble, right? But it's an act of your faith to say it. It's an action. Faith is belief in action. And by taking a step of faith, by acting on it and speaking it out of your mouth, that's one aspect of confession. But the more important part is the the word, the root word of that word confession is to agree with. 
or to assent is to, is to line up with. It's, it's saying the same thing as another or, or in a more negative sense to concede to. If you confess your sins, you concede that you did them. And by confessing Jesus as Lord, you're agreeing with something you heard. And faith comes by hearing. So we need to tell people about this and when they hear it, they need to agree with it and then in their agreement, they confess it with their mouth. It comes from the heart and is spoken out of the mouth. So confession is more than just a statement. It's more than reiterating a phrase. It's a belief, a heartfelt reiteration because you heard it from somewhere else and you're lining up with it. So that's why some people who may have said the sinner's prayer in, in, in some random uh, off-handed way and didn't mean any of it, it didn't take root. But when you say it, believing in your heart, it takes root. And you will be saved. But what's interesting is what, what does it mean? What, what does it mean when we say that? Well, when we look back at verse 9, let's go back to verse 9. There it is. It, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now that God in the Greek, you guys all know, the original text was written in Greek. And the word in Greek for God here is theos. It's the word that we get theology from, the study of God or study of religions. It's, it's theos. It's God. It, it's, it's God Almighty in a sense. It's, 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 it, it describes God perfectly. He says, now God, it, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But it says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that's a different Greek word. It's not theos. It doesn't just mean that Jesus is God, if you're confessing that Jesus is God. It can have that connotation, but it means so much more. When we say that Jesus is Lord, this Greek word is kurios. Kurios. I said it twice when I played it on my screen, so kurios, kurios. <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying it right, but it's kind of how I heard it. It's uh, from Strong's 2962 in the Thayer's Greek lexicon. This is from a, a root word that means supreme in authority. That's what Lord means. Supreme. So when it's used as a noun, it's supreme in authority, which of course describes God Almighty. So it could be used and is indeed used in times in the New Testament to mean God. So it's okay to, to use it that way, but what it means in this context is that we are putting it as, confessing it as the Lord Jesus. So the Lord is an adjective describing Jesus, who he is. So the Lord is the supreme authority, his name is Jesus, and it means that he to whom a person or thing belongs. It means about which he, ha he the Lord, has power of deciding. It means master. It means Lord. The possessor and disposer. The possessor, the owner, or disposer. The tosser away of something. It means the owner. When we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, what we are saying is, be my owner. Be my owner. Be my master. And what's fascinating when I studied this out, the scriptures that refer to being subject to disobedience, being when, when sin has dominion over us and we are now no longer under the dominion of sin, 
That phraseology is a similar word, curio, which is Lord. So before you're born again, sin is your Lord. And what we say when we confess with our mouth, Jesus be our Lord, we're no longer under the lordship of sin. We're no longer a slave of sin. We are saying, no, sin, you have no more business in my life. Jesus, now you are the authority in my life. You are Lord. In John 20 and 28, this is the story where uh, after, the, after Jesus was risen from the dead and he visited the disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. And he said, unless I can put my finger in and so forth and so on. And so Jesus comes back and, and Thomas is there. And his response, John 20, 28, do we have that coming right up? I want you to see this. It says, and Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God, my Kyrios and my Theos, the two Greek words. So you see that Jesus is both God and our owner, our master, our Lord. So we confess, we're saying by faith, be the ultimate authority in my life. I now belong to you. And you have a say in deciding what is right for me because you are my owner. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Nineteen through twenty. You guys still with me? Good. So here we are, First Corinthians chapter six, nineteen and twenty. There it is. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You're not your own. You confess Jesus. Now, none of us knew what we were confessing when we were first saved, <laughs> you know, because we're carnally minded. If someone said, well, come on and, and, and become a Christian because you're going you're gonna to be owned by a, somebody, some spirit named Jesus. <laughs> How's that for an offer? <laughs> it's like, whoa, dude, you've been drinking the Kool-Aid. No, you don't want to do that, right? But when you confess with your Lord... God is so gracious to meet us where we're at. And he starts to work in us slowly but surely, some faster than others, but he brings us along to an understanding that now we are not our own. And now the Holy Spirit who was once in us, in Adam, has now been returned to us, and his spirit and our spirit are now reconnected. So Jesus is Lord. What does that mean? Well, we should obey him. We should follow him, Pastor John. Do what he said. Because he's Lord. Follow him. Obey him. Luke 6.46, this is not in my, in my notes, but, but Luke 6.46 says, Jesus said to him, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? Are you really confessing that Jesus is Lord and that not doing? And then he likened it to the man who built the house on the sand. Remember that the parable? Right? The one who built it on the rock is the one who hears the sayings and does them. Because he submitted to the Lord, who is Almighty God. Matthew seven twenty one talks about, you know, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
right? Because, because he would say, you didn't know, you didn't do, I don't know, you're not doing what I asked you to do. You may be doing good works, but it's not what I told you to do. So obedience is the key. We talked about that a few minutes ago when we, when we looked at the life of Jesus and how he only did what he saw his father do. And he was always pleasing to the Father, so the Father and Jesus were never separated. So in that obedience, the, the Holy Spirit could flow through, through Jesus to do the work and the will of the Father on the earth. In disobedience, we saw what happened with Adam. He worked out of his flesh and his soul, and you know he had a spirit. And that's where we all were. So obedience is the key. It's important to know that we need to obey the Lord. So How? How do we obey the Lord? Well, there's a whole list of do's and don'ts that you could create. Well, Jesus said, do this, 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 and this, and, and that would be good. And he said, don't do that, 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 and that, so, so I won't do that. Seems pretty easy, right? But if you take that approach, you're really approaching the obedience of the Lordship in your flesh and in your soul. You're making a list of laws. And we already know by looking at how God gave us the law, the Mosaic law, and how nobody could follow it because it's all geared toward the flesh and the spirit and the, and the soul, rather. And no one can follow that. And so if we do the same thing, oh, now that we're Christians, I'm going to be better. Oh, I'm going to pray every day. Oh, I'm going to surrender all, right? All good things, right? I'm going to give to the poor. I'm going to sell my house, give everything to the Whatever it is, in your mind and in your soul, this isn't how it's going to work. Because no matter how good you do this week, next week you might not be so good. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you all can relate. I, I can. I, I have times when I'm sore and times when I'm like, am I saved? And I've been saved for how many years? 30? Well, I don't know. A long time. <laughs> you think I'd be better than that. But as I was preparing these notes and trying to understand what does it mean that Jesus is Lord and how do we follow it, God showed me another way. And I'm going to share that with you tonight. And it's exciting. We see in these verses, God, uh, 1 Corinthians 6.19, we see that the Holy Spirit is now in us. The third person of the Trinity, he dwells in us. That Greek word for spirit is pneuma, which we know as air or wind or breath. The breath of life. He's in us. He's living in us as part of the Trinity. He's right in there. So when we made our confession that Jesus is Lord, when we believed in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we were born again, and the very Spirit of Almighty God moved in to you and to me. He's in there. What is that? Prego spaghetti sauce is in there. Right? I don't know if you remember that commercial. Right? God's in here. He's in here. And, and we're to glorify him in our body. You know, it's our reasonable sacrifice to put our flesh down. So we need to renew our mind to the fact that he is there. Romans 8. Let's take a look at this. Romans 8. There's so much in here we could go after. Romans 8 and verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh. Okay, that was the old days. Not to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, how? By the Spirit. If by the Spirit, not by the willpower, not by the ideology, not by the great preaching, not by getting into the right church or singing the right songs, 
By the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Paul's right there. How are we doing? Do you feel like you're led by the Spirit of God all the time? We know and we confess and we enjoy and we're excited about the fact that we're sons of God. But the ones who are sons of God are the ones who are led by the Spirit of God. Next verse. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We are children of Almighty God. We are children of the one who can name a hundred billion trillion stars. That's our Father. The one who created all those species of animals. That, that, we're, we're His kids. We, not just Adam and Eve in some story from long ago. You and me are children of Almighty God. And we know that because he gave us his Holy Spirit who is in us and that truth bears witness with our spirits. But how quickly we lose sight of that. I always read in the early days of my walk, you know, I'd struggle with this or that in the flesh. And Galatians 5.16 makes it so easy. Just read Galatians 5.16. I say then walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Oh, that's all I got to do. You know, what does that mean? You know, like, woo, you know, Casper or some weird thing. No. You know, I looked at that and I wanted to know how. Because I always felt like the lust of the flesh would come up or the lust of the eyes or the pride of the life, the sin that so easily besets us. But no, it's not that hard. But we have to renew our mind to who is in us, which is the Holy Spirit of God. Renewing the mind is an interesting thing. We, we just had some new front doors put into our house, new entryway doors. And uh, the ones that they took out had, had a screen door and, and then the main entry door, right? So, so they took those out and they put the new ones in, which are really beautiful. We love them. And, there, and there's no screen door. We don't want to cover up the beautiful door. And, and the salesman said they don't really help you anyway with these fancy doors. And of course, with the price, I assumed I didn't need one. But that's beside the point. <laughs> But what's funny is our 10-year-old dog, when it was time to go outside, he would wait for us to open the screen door. And now with the new door, open the door, so go out, he'd be like. <laughs> and I, I, even a couple days later, trying to get him to come in, I had to, my wife had to go and get him and drag him in. It's okay, there's no door here. He had to renew his mind to the fact that there was nothing in his way, that there's a new entry, there's a new way that I could preach. <laughs> So, so we have to renew our mind to the fact that we were created as spirit beings and our spirit is now in union with the Holy Spirit. Think about that. Dwell on it. First Thessalonians, let me read this. First Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17. Oh, good on time. Uh, look at this. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, 
For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Okay, Jesus is Lord. We're going to obey Lord uh, because we are obedient people. So therefore, we're going to pray without ceasing. I guess I've got to quit my job. <laughs> what could that mean? And this is the key. This is the thing, if you don't take anything else out of this series. All the time, moment by moment, renew your, your mind to the fact of who you are. Think about that Jesus is in you in the Holy Spirit. Think that you are a spirit being, that you are no longer subject to or a slave of sin. Your body and your soul do not have dominion over you because you are a spirit of God. You are a child of God who's a spirit, and your spirit and his spirit are in union. That's praying without ceasing. And as you meditate on these things, as you reflect on those things, your spirit man bubbles up and says, God, help me to do what you said to do. Help me to submit because I know you're in there and I know I can now in my new nature. I have the nature of Christ. I have the mind. When I'm, in fact, this week I've been doing this quite a bit since doing these notes, and it's just phenomenal how it helps. You know, you're facing this challenge at work and this, this struggle and someone comes in and just dumps on you and you're like, Ugh! wait a minute, I have the Spirit of Christ in me. Holy Spirit, you can show me what the answer is. What is the word this person needs? Why are they dumping on me like this? Help me to, 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 to say the word quickly so I can get back to the mess on my desk because you can show me all things. Just, you just have to refresh and remind. But if you've forgotten those things, then those coals, those embers are just kind of dying in your heart. Stir them up always. Pray without ceasing. Remember who you are. Confess. Tell yourself all of these things all the time. I'm telling you, this will be life-changing to you. And then, only then, when you realize who you are in the spirit, that you are a spirit being, then you can crucify the flesh. Then you can put down your soul. Luke 9 23 and 24. Then he, Jesus, said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, to follow me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross daily, daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. To deny yourself is to say no to your flesh no to your soul, and yes to your spirit man. When you learn who you are in Christ, when you resurrect that spirit man within you, he now has ascendancy in your walk, and now you can do the things he's called you to do and act the way he's called you to act. Think about this in the crucified life. The fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, against such there's no law. But how many of us feel like that all the time? And, we, and we, we come into church and there's hatred in our heart for somebody or something. No, the fruit of the Spirit is love. But because you're renewed, because the Spirit of man is alive in you, you can choose to put down the hate. No, I don't have to hate anymore. That's being a subject of a slave, of, of the devil. He's about hate. I'm, I'm, I'm a child of God. He's love. And the love of God has been shut or brought in my heart by the Holy Spirit, I have the choice now, the ability to love even when my soul feels hatred. And you let that spirit rise up. Joy? How about joy? 
Can you imagine if every one of us came in here full of the joy that God has given us? And then a, and a newcomer came in? They would see something they never saw in the world. They would see a joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's the joy that we have. He's in us. He's in our spirit. But our flesh weighs us down. I'm tired. Oh, the time change. Oh, my boss. Oh, it's cold outside. Woe is me. I'm Eeyore. You know? And that's how we come in. And then we expect the band and the choir to perk us up. And they're up there feeling the same way as we are. That's not fair. But it doesn't have to be that way. We have the Spirit of God in us, the Holy Spirit, the one who can stir up and put out all that stuff so we can come in rip-roaring with joy. And not only here, but take that joy to work. No one's going to say, what you been drinking this morning? Oh, we're not drunk as you suppose. Oh, no, no. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you want to know about Him? I can tell you. They'll see it. The fruit of the Spirit they should see because the Spirit is in us. We have to remember such things and stir ourselves up and we could go on and on and on with all of the fruits of the Spirit. Good works is another aspect of living the crucified life. Uh, Look at Matthew chapter 5. We'll take a look at this quickly because time is fading. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men. Who's our light? Jesus. Jesus is the light. That's the song. Let, Let your light so shine before men that they may see what? Your good works. And you can glorify your Father in heaven when you do those good works. When you're led by the Holy Spirit and you do the works that God called you to do, there's an anointing on those works and people will see it. And they'll say, wow, that was done with excellence, with grace. That there was something unique about that good work that you did. And we want to know how you did that and we want to do it ourselves. And they're seeing the light of Jesus. Not you, they're seeing the light of Jesus. Remember now, you're not saved by good works, you're saved unto good works. And you can't carry out good works by your own initiative, your own will, your own desires, your own soulish reasons. You can only do them as you're led by the Spirit of God. It's an amazing thing. So as we kind of wind all this up, I want you to understand this, that as we looked at the first Adam, that he was made by God Almighty in God's image and his likeness. And he became alive by the breath of life, the Holy Spirit of God. And he obeyed God Almighty in his life. And so he lived righteous and holy, never separated until he disobeyed. And then we saw the second Adam who left the throne of his life to save ours. He also born of the Holy Spirit of God and the Virgin Mary. He crucified his flesh daily to save ours. He fulfilled the law for us. He obeyed God the Father, the Lord of his life. He obeyed. And so the power of the Holy Spirit flowed freely through Jesus as God willed. There's no impurity. Remember the example I gave you a couple weeks ago of the aluminum foil in the light socket and how it just snapped because it wasn't pure? It wasn't a pure conductor of that power. Jesus didn't have any impurities. He had no sin. There was nothing impeding the flow of God in him, and so it flowed through him freely to do the will of the Father on the earth. And he was raised from the dead. He took away our sins, and so he gave his life. 
He gave his life to save ours. And look at Hebrews chapter 10. We talked about this before. I want you to see it again. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19 and through 22. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. My point here is that there's no longer a barrier between God and man. We have access to God through Jesus Christ because he crucified his flesh. He did away with any impurities and now it's spirit man to spirit man and we can now come in his temple from the holy place right into the holy of holies. That access has been made for us, which we did not have before. That's important. Because now we, the body of Christ, as Christians, we are Christ-like. We are to do the things that Christ did. So we are to leave the throne of our lives and submit it to the Lord, the owner of our lives, now Jesus. So we let go of that and we give it to him. We are born again by the Holy Spirit of God and our spirit is now alive. We take up our cross and crucify our flesh daily as our flesh is dead. Just as Jesus did, right? And the more we submit to, the more we obey the Holy Spirit of God within us, the more God's love and his power and his holiness and his will will be manifest in his church. Just as it was as Jesus obeyed. The more we as his church obey, he will flow through us. And as we crucify our flesh, we remove the veil the veil that's in us. What did we read earlier? Know you not that you are the temple? The temple had three parts, the holiest of holies and the holy place and the outer court. And when Jesus died, he tore the veil of God's temple from top to bottom, signifying a way back in to the Father. When we tear our flesh, when we crucify our flesh, we tear the veil away that keeps the Father from moving through us. That's powerful. That's powerful. Crucifying the flesh opens the way for the Spirit of God to flow through us to touch a lost and dying world. Glory to God. We will lose our life for Him, and when we lose it, we'll find it. And what a different life it'll be. What a different life it'll be. So I just remind you, I stir you up to who you are in Christ, that you are a spirit man, and that the Holy Spirit lives in you, and if you meditate on this day and night, all the time, as much as you can, think about these things, and remember them, and when something comes against you, and you don't see the fruit of the Spirit in you, put, put, put that aside, remember who you are, and start to exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. And so you'll start to crucify your flesh just in the way you behave. And then as you listen to the Spirit and He's leading you to do things, you'll be much more obedient to carry it out. You need a witness to that person over there. Oh, I don't like that person. Well, he didn't like you either, but he loved you and he died for you. So go talk to him. Yes, sir. Uh, You are my God. You are my owner. I will do whatever you say. And you may not see the fruit immediately, but like me, sometime later, 
that person might be singing the praises of God and telling other people about him too. So you are a child of God. So we learn that Jesus is God. We learn that Jesus is our Savior. And now we know what it means that Jesus is Lord. Revelation 19.1. After these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. This is not child's play. Eternity lies in the balance for so many people. Let's pray. Father God, Almighty God, Savior, Maker, Creator, Father, Spirit, Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, to to remember who we are now in you. Help us to realize what we've been saved from and into whom we've been saved. Help us to rejoice knowing that you are inside us and you will never leave us or forsake us. No matter what looks like inside, we thank you, my God. Help the church to grow in these truths, not just us here, but the church across your world. And that a revival will break out like never before because the Spirit of God is now visibly seen in your church, in your body, in the fruits and the works that we do as we submit to you. And that you would come again soon, Lord God. And you would come for a bride without spot or wrinkle because that's how you made us. You made us like that, my God. And we, as you come, we will be like you. Help us to grasp those truths and start to walk in and live in those truths. May it be so. Amen. Now, before we worship the Lord with our tithes and offerings, I want to ask this one question. If you have never...